Zaylee loves Christmas. Zaylee is a giver. She likes to buy gifts. Her love language is buy a gift, give it to you, watch your response, and that's how she she's showing you that she loves you. She's wanting to see your response, and and I love that uh, about Christmas. How many love to receive gifts? How many love to give gifts? As a parent, I love to give gifts because I, I, you know, I think we get a glimpse of what the Father did for us through Jesus Christ. He he gave the gift of his son, and and so uh, I love that. And so I I, I, I want to talk to you for the next couple of weeks. I we were in Isaiah chapter six last week, and we talked about um, Isaiah having a moment with the Lord, and how in chapters one through five. He was a little bit pointed to the people of Israel and telling them all their woes. And then in chapter 6, when he gets and he is, uh, has this vision in the throne room of heaven, he goes from saying, woe is you, is to woe is me. And because he's in the presence of God. And the presence of God will do that. And he has a change there, and he has moved. And Isaiah was a counselor. Uh, he is a prophet of the Old Testament, but he was a counselor to kings. He was a man who was inspired by the Holy Spirit and, and wrote one of the most quoted books of the Old Testament, which is Isaiah, named after him, and, and other than, only second to the book of Psalms. So Jesus would even use Isaiah's writings when he preached his first sermon. And Isaiah, after this uh, moment of, of consecration from Isaiah chapter 6, would be propelled to be a prophet to the nations, and he's still a prophet to the nations, amen, and he speaks of the coming Messiah, which is Jesus Christ, everyone say, thank you, Jesus, all right, so 700 years before Jesus, he would prophesy of the things that Jesus would fulfill uh, in his life, and, and many of them, one of the most important would be that Jesus would would be born of a virgin. So, and, and uh, other prophets that that have given prophetic words concerning Jesus would be uh, the prophet Micah in chapter five, verse two. He said he would prophesy he would be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. All right, Hosea. Now, this is Old Testament. Hosea 11.1 1 tells us of how God will call his son out of Egypt. Now, you remember when Jesus was born, uh, um, Herod had a decree out to kill every male child under the age of two. Everyone say, that is evil. Amen. How many know that that is pure evil? Uh, that, is, that is evil. Uh, and so... They, uh, in order to sustain, they they were exiled to Egypt, and Jesus, because of Herod, would come up out of Egypt, fulfilling that prophecy. So Isaiah would also prophesy in, in chapter nine, which I'm going to talk about, Lord willing, next week, uh, that that is that um, Jesus's ministry. Uh, would talk about Jesus' ministry, and, and other prophets would prophesy that his ministry would be in Galilee, and, and that that he would be the lineage of David. And how many know that David is from the tribe of Judah, and Jesus Christ is from the tribe of Judah? All right, so he is the lineage of David. So there are many prophecies. So if you have your Bibles today, go to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And there's a lot to unpack in this, in this bit of scripture. 
And I, I just bear with me. Uh, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide me today. I, I told I told Sula just a moment ago, I said, I, I have been, you know, uh, wrestling with this scripture in my mind and in my heart and just praying about it and praying about it. And I'm just going to ask, after I read it, ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me, okay? All right, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says this, And he said, Hear then, O house of David, talking about the lineage of David, Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Everyone say, a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All right, verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I ask, Lord, that you would lead me today. Lord, that you would, behind, that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would be exalted, Lord, that you would be lifted up. God, I pray, Lord, that you would use me how you see fit. God, I am just a, 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 a pot made of clay today, God. Mold me. And use me how you see fit, God. I pray, Lord, that your word go forth in power and might. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said. Has anyone in here ever thought a situation, you overthink something? Anybody have a moment where you overthink something? How many overthink on a daily basis? How many are overthinking Christmas right now? All right, a few of us are, are doing that. Um, have you ever over like <laughs> overthought something and made it way worse than it actually was? You know, like when I was a kid, I would go to the doctor's office and I would know I'd have to get a shot, and I would I would just amp myself up going into the doctor's office, making the shot way worse than it actually was. They'd usually give me the shot, and I'd be like, "Are you guys done?" They'd be like, "Yeah," and I'd be like, "Oh, that wasn't so bad, right?" And so oftentimes we overthink and we make situations so bad. I remember one time when we were living in California and we had rented a house and we were moving to another house. And in the process of moving out, uh, we were trying to uh, make things right. And uh, we had, had, you know, scuffed some walls and messed up some paint just by, you know, furniture and having kids. Don't look at me like you don't make the same mistakes. And, and so I thought, well, okay, well, we'll fill some holes. We'll fix some things, and uh, we'll do this because it's the right thing to do. No, I really wanted my deposit back. That's why I did it. But anyways, so I thought I'd be smart. And so I went out to the garage, and then there was paint out in the garage, and there was this can of paint, and it looked very much like the paint in the house, very much like the paint in the house. So I took it, and I did the old shakerooski, you know, mix it up right there. Not as good as the machines at, at Lowe's or the hardware store. But I mixed it up, and I thought, okay, well, I'll fill, I'll cover some of the spots and some on the wall. Well, I took the paintbrush, and I began to paint little parts of the wall. And how many know when you put paint on a wall, it never looks like it's going to match, right? So I had faith that I was doing the right thing in that moment. And I begin to look, and I begin to think, hey, this is going to be all right. Then a little bit of time passed, and a little bit of doubt set in. A little bit more doubt set in. And I begin to look, 
And this paint was a little bit of shade different than the paint on the wall. So there were spots of areas that I had fixed on the wall. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to repaint this whole house. So I hit the panic button. And I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. And so thank goodness, man, thank goodness I went to the hardware store. And they have color match. Everyone say, praise the Lord for color match. And I took a little bit of the wall with me. And I said, I need you to match this paint somehow, some way. And they took that little seeing eye, and he did it. And I was praying, God, give us favor today. Give us favor today. And sure enough, a miracle happened there at Home Depot for me. The paint matched, and we, I went back, and I painted over my other paint. And I sat there, and I let it dry, and it covered. And I thought, man, thank you, Lord. And I remember thinking in that moment, man, I am going to have to pay to have this place painted, or I'm going to have to spend the next day painting. And this is going to be more work than it's worth. But I was overthinking. Anybody ever overthink a situation? All right. There's a story. A, a fellow was stuck on the rooftop, and many of you have heard this, in a flood. And he was praying to God for help. And soon a man in a rowboat came by. And the fellow shouted out uh, to the man on the roof, jump in, I can save you. And the stranded fellow shouted back, no, it's okay, I'm praying uh, to God, and he's going to save me. So the rowboat uh, went on, and then a motorboat came, and the fellow on the motorboat shouted, jump in, I'll save you. And to the stranded man, and the man said, no, I'm praying to God, and he's going to save me. I have faith. So the motorboat went on. Then a helicopter came by, and a pilot shouted down, grab this rope, and we'll lift you out to safety. To this stranded man, he replied, uh, the, the stranded man replied, no thanks, I'm praying to God, and he's going to save me, I have faith. So the helicopter reluctantly flew away. Soon the water rose above the rooftop, and the man drowned. He went to heaven, and he finally got his chance to discuss this whole situation to God, at which he, point, he exclaimed, I had faith in you, but you didn't save me, you let me down, and I don't understand why. And then God replied, I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more did you expect out of me? So oftentimes, we think in our mind, we make things way harder than they need to be. God gives us a way out. Oftentimes, we've got to get our sticky hands in there and try to make something happen, all right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So in this story in chapter 7 of Isaiah, there is a king, and this king's name is Ahaz. And Ahaz is the grandson of Uzziah. I talked about Uzziah last week. He is the grandson of Uzziah. And Ahaz is really, he is the, uh, the king of the southern portion uh, kingdom, which would be uh, the king of Judah. And so he is not really a great king, all right? He's one of those guys in the lineage. He's, he's just kind of a subpar guy, not, not doing great things for God, but just kind of subpar there. And King Ahaz of Judah was like this man in the place of trouble in chapter 7. He, things are building up around him, and they're surrounding him. And, and he is beginning to think that he, he is sunk. In Syria, the evil nation, how many have heard me talk about the Assyrians? The Assyrians were evil people. Um, they, they, had, they had very brutal tactics when they would take over a town, or, and they would do very brutal things. They would, uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, they would cut the eyelids off of people that they would imprison so that they could not keep the sun out of their eyes. How many know that that is very cruel? They would chain people uh, by the nose, and they would drag them back to where they came from. Uh, how many know that that is cruel? They would stack up the skulls of, of people that they killed outside of cities to show people, don't mess with Assyria. 
and they were mean and they were bad. And everybody was afraid of Assyria. And so here's what here's the story here. Um, the nation of Israel, not Judah, the, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria, they created this coalition to fight against Assyria because Assyria uh, was, was kind of the big bully on the block. And so here they are, and they want Judah or they want King Ahaz to join their coalition and say, hey, three is better than two. So if you join us, we can take out the Assyrians. And so this is the context of, of what's going on. And, and so the two little bullies join together to try to fight the big bully. How many know what I'm talking about? That's exactly what's happening here. So, uh, and so there they are. And so Ahaz finds himself here in this moment where he is having to make a decision between, hey, do I side with this group or do I side with the Assyrians or what do I do? Verse 10 says this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. He says this. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. I want you to look at the verbiage of this. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. There's a lot of distance there. What he's saying there, don't just ask for a small sign. Ask God in a big way. And Now, this is what I think happens to us. Oftentimes in our lives, God's saying, hey, ask and you shall receive. But sometimes we ask in the little way, right, instead of the big way. Instead of saying, hey, you know, it's kind of like kind of like my, my daughter when she wants to go somewhere or she wants to do something. I can always tell she wants to do something because she'll come hang out with me out of the blue. And she'll visit with me. And I'll sit there and I'll just be like. You know, and then she'll finally ask me after an hour or so. I'm like, why didn't you just ask me? Well, Dad, you're intimidating. Do I look intimidating to you? Come on. But <laughs> Isaiah's saying this. He's saying this to King Ahaz. He said, ask a sign of the Lord and let it be a big ask. You know, make it big. What, what are you asking of the Lord? Can I ask you this? What are you asking of the Lord? Are you asking him for small things or are you asking him for big things? It's a lesson here that we can learn. Verse 12 says this, but Ahaz said this, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. This is amazing to me. And this is interesting because Ahaz's answer is one of piousness. It is one. It seems right, right, not to test the Lord. It seems like it's a good thing. It sounds really spiritual, right? It sounds really good, but he's not really testing the Lord. You know, I, the prophet Isaiah, the Lord speaking through him, asking that, ask the Lord for a sign. You ask how big it is. And then Ahaz is like, well, I won't test the Lord. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. I, 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 he's, what he's really saying is I'm going to put my trust in man. It's a pride thing. I won't ask the Lord because I don't want to test the Lord. How many times do we not ask the Lord for help because of our pride? I'm guilty of that. How many times do we not ask for help because of our own pride? Maybe we don't ask people for help because of pride in our lives. And this, if we, if we aren't careful, these things can subtly come in and we have to watch ourselves. But look at this, verse 13 says this, and he said... <clears throat> And, here, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, 
speaking to the, the kingdom there, the people, the lineage of David, those in, in the, the palace or to the nation. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? So what happened here is let me give you the context of what Ahaz has done. So the king of Israel and Syria have come together to create this coalition, and they want Ahaz to join them. But Ahaz goes behind their back, and he goes straight to the king of Assyria and says, hey, I am going to give you earnest money. Will you protect me? So he's went behind their backs to create a double cross, basically, saying, I'm going to put my trust in the Assyrians and not in God. It's amazing. And so Isaiah when he says, here then, O house of David, is it too little for you uh, to weary men that you weary my, uh, my God also? Isaiah is speaking to the descendants of David there. You are going to exhaust humans and try to exhaust the patience of God as well. Okay, this is where it gets super interesting. Look at this, verse 14. And this verse is out of the blue in this storyline. It just seems like it just pops up out of nowhere. We quote this verse around Christmas time. We say this verse a lot. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Everyone say a sign. Sign, sign, everywhere a sign. You guys know that song. Some of you, some of you know that song. All right. Uh, the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. I love that. How many know that God is with us? See, Ahaz had a moment where he could decide, am I going to put my trust in man, in kingdoms, or am I going to put my trust in God and him alone? So this is what happens. Isaiah says, have it your way then. Ahaz, looking to protect the kingdom of Judah, but something is being prophesied here. There's something that's being established, and that is this. The Messiah is coming and his kingdom. Your kingdom of Judah, it may seem important to you now. It is a temporal kingdom, but God is coming to establish an everlasting kingdom through Jesus Christ. So look at this. There, there is a, and, and, and there's a lot of consternation with this verse. If you, uh, and this is, this is the part that I was struggling with because here in this verse it says, Behold the virgin, and the word virgin there in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word there literally means a maiden or someone who is capable of having a child. It doesn't necessarily, some, some scholars believe that it, is, that it does define a virgin. Other scholars say it is not. There is another Hebrew word called batula, which is literally means virgin. It's not used in this context. And so some people argue, hey, this is not talking about, this is not talking about Jesus Christ. This is talking about a prophecy given for uh, Ahaz and, and the Jude, Judah kingdom there. And so, you know, they're in this constant, but I believe that God is just big enough that he can give a word to someone for now that that word can reach past then and be everlasting to something else. Amen. Do you believe that? So look at this. So, so while Ahaz is worrying about the, the Judah and the lineage of David being sustained, uh, he is worried about that and he's... And he, what he needs to know is this is what happens. This is what ends up happening is the, the Assyrians come in. They take out the northern kingdom of Israel. They take out the Syrians. And, and so Judah is sustained for a short time 
after this, okay? So the Lord does sustain them, but what happens, the Assyrians eventually come in, and they take over the lower kingdom, and then the Babylonians take take them and take them into captivity. So the long-term prophecy here points to Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of, you. we can talk about this. I don't want you to get hung up on this point. How many know that Jesus is the reason why we live? All right? All right, so. I want to give you. I want to give you three things. Three things that I believe. The, the The first is this: a sign. Everyone say a sign. What? Uh, and and my sermon title. I didn't even. I didn't even get into this. Is the sign of Emmanuel? Everyone say the sign of Emmanuel. A sign. And here's the sign. Here's the sign. That word Emmanuel is God with us. Everyone say God with us. Everyone say it again, God with us. See, that is the sign. Uh, a sign. Um, a sign is this. A sign is a signal or a beacon, right? We can go down the road and we can look up and we can see billboards at night. They're lit up so we can see them, so we can see what's being advertised, right? Road signs, exit signs, they're lit up so we can see them. And can I tell you something? The Bible speaks of prophecy of Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, and those are all signs that point to him. And he fulfilled those things. So I want to just talk to you. Here's some facts on birth. Facts on birth. The longest recorded pregnancy, get ready, ladies, was 375 days, which is 100 days over the average pregnancy. In 1945, poor Beulah Hunter had a pregnancy that lasted 375 days. How many know that that's a long pregnancy? All the men said amen, right? All right. The oldest recorded modern-day uh, person having a baby was a lady who was 66 years old in Spain. All right, we'll pass right on over that one. All right. The longest, look at this, the longest labor was, you guys, you are not ready for this. The longest labor was 75 days. All the women said, oh. Now, there's there's some issues with this. Joanna uh, Kristinek, in 2013, she was having triplets, and she went into labor at week 21. She had her first triplet, and it was a miscarriage. The other two were still healthy, and the doctors made her, uh, she was in labor, and they put her in a position where her legs were at a 30-degree angle on her back. For 75 days, she was in labor, and she would eventually have the other two kids, and they would be healthy. That's amazing. All right, and all right, women, are you ready for this? The largest child to be born was 22 pounds, 8 ounces to Tar- Carmelina Fidel in Italy in 1955. That is a healthy boy. He liked the pasta, right? All right. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a sign. It's a signal. It's a beacon. It's this, a virgin virgin birth. So Jesus, born of a virgin. So Jesus holds the record for the most unusual birth. 
He may not have been the biggest child or his mom may not have been in labor the longest, but he holds the most unusual birth, the most miraculous birth in the history of the world. On a human level, I have to reason with Joseph here. Like, you're crazy, Mary. What do you mean you're pregnant? I haven't known you. We're betrothed. We're engaged to be married. I have not known you in that way. What do you mean? The Lord impregnated you. You know, and he would later be visited by an angel, and the angel would show him these things. And I think it's amazing that God would pick Mary, Mary, a very probably young teenage girl. God would use her. And I love the scripture that says that Mary pondered after the angel spoke to her. And the scripture says, Mary pondered those things on her heart. I think it says a lot about her character. She didn't go out shouting all these things. She just said, God, help me to deal with this. Help me to work this out. God, use me how you see fit. So when Jesus was born, it didn't provide the world with another birth. No, it provided the world with hope. That's it. It provided the world with hope. How many know that the world needs hope? The world needs hope. It came in the form of Jesus Christ. It said that a person can live 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but only four seconds without hope. I need hope. I need Jesus. Jesus, born of a virgin, would come into this world with no sin, would live in this world with no sin, would bear your sins and mine on the cross and defeat sin by resurrecting from the grave. That is the gospel right there. The virgin birth transcends natural laws. And this, this is something that we struggle with. You know, how can this be possible? How, is this, how can this happen? How can someone be pregnant when she hasn't been with a man while she, she's a virgin? God can do whatever he wants to do. So check this out. The virgin birth, it transcends the natural laws. And Ahaz, uh, you know, it's almost like, 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 like the, the, the prophet saying, Ahaz, find a virgin woman who's pregnant. Uh, I'm God. This is, this is my work. This is my cause, my evidence, my monument. This is my signal. This is my beacon to the world of who Jesus is. He's a miraculous God of hope, and he's coming in a miraculous way. 700 years after Isaiah spoke these words, a teenage girl who was betrothed to marry a a man named Joseph had a visit from an angel. He told her her that she was to be a human vehicle through whom the Messiah of God would come. That's heavy. That's heavy. That's heavy right there. And somewhere in the confusion of this surprising, miraculous pregnancy, we read the quote from an Old Testament prophet who stood toe-to-toe with the king and announced to anyone who had ears to hear, there is nothing too difficult for my God. So how many have found yourself in your life that sometimes you're like Ahaz, you feel like, that the Assyrians are attacking, and you feel like that this group is pulling you this direction, and there's so much chaos, and you feel like you're just being overwhelmed, and you're, 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 you're just being pulled one direction. And, and, but here's what we got to do. We have to trust God with our problems, believe his promises, hang on when it feels too tough to hang on. Amen? And you will see what God can do. So the virgin birth, listen, listen to me. A sign. The virgin birth is a non-negotiable element of our faith in Jesus Christ. All right? 
There are people who will argue with you for days over this. Uh, in, in matter of fact, when Jesus, uh, after Jesus lived, Paul had spoke and was preaching the gospel. This group of Gnosticism, or people who who said that Jesus was a gifted human being, but they pulled and they said he did he was not deity. They would not agree that he was deity. They say he was gifted. Gnosticism still rears its head today, where people say it was Jesus truly the Son of God. Was Jesus truly virgin born? Can I tell you? something, those are non-negotiables to your faith. Virgin birth is non-negotiable element of our faith. He was born of a virgin. Everyone say, he was born of a virgin. Here's the second thing, a sign. The first and second thing is this, a son. Everyone say, a son. Jesus Christ, he calls himself in scripture as the son of man. At one point, he calls himself the son of man. He had an earthly mother, Mary, and therefore, as a man, he was in all points tempted as we are. How many know that we serve a God who was tempted in the same way that you're tempted? Look at this. Hebrews 4.15 says this. The high priest of, our, uh, of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Amen. This tells me he felt what we feel. He knew what it was like to lose a friend to death. His friend Lazarus died. He knew what it was like to fall down and skin his knee. He went through struggles even as we do. But, and he understands your troubles and your challenges and your temptations in life. Jesus knows you. There's nothing that you can go through that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, cannot sympathize or cannot re- uh, can't sympathize or relate to you. He's been there. As a man, he's the perfect man, though. He's human because he came through the womb of Mary. So look at this. He is man. He is the son of man, but he is also the son of God. Look at this. He's also the son of God. He's God because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, he came through the womb of Mary, so that made him man, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that makes him God. So look at this, Hebrews, I love this. I've been on this Hebrews kick. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God, talking about Jesus, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, amen. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I like the way that the message translation, actually, I wouldn't even call it translation, but the message, it says it like this. By his son, God created the world in the beginning, and it will all belong to the son in the end. The Son perfectly mirrors God, amen, and is, is stamped with God's nature. He holds everything together by what he says, powerful words. How many know that Jesus has the word, and he could speak the word, and there's power in what he says? Therefore, if I want to know what God is like, I simply have to do this. Look at Jesus Christ, because he mirrors God. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, he would say, the father would say this of Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He is 
the Son of Man. He is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, both human and God. Matter of fact, next week I'm going to be talking about Isaiah chapter 9. And, and Lord willing, if I get there, I'm going to speak of Jesus. It says this in that, in that chapter, a child is born, speaking of his humanity. A son is given, speaking of his deity. And the government is on his shoulders, speaking of his sovereignty. Talking about Jesus, people will try and talk away the virgin birth, and people will try and say he was just a gifted man. But the truth is, he, he was virgin birth. He lived a sinless life. He was resurrected, and that makes Jesus Christ the Son of God. Amen? How many are with me? All right, I'm going to ask the worship team to come, come back. He was the Son of Man, and he is the Son of God. He lived a sinless life. A non-negotiable truth to our faith in Jesus Christ is that he was virgin born and he lived a sinless life. Okay? Are you with me? So here's the last thing. He is a Savior. Everyone say a Savior. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons or daughters there. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Amen. Galatians chapter 4 verse 7 says, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The reason Jesus came, the reason Jesus lived a sinless life was to be your Savior. I love that scripture. It says, in the fullness of time. When the perfect time had come, is what that means. When the perfect time had come, Jesus shows up on the scene. I love that. The name Jesus. Look at this. The name Jesus. Yeshua in the Hebrew, it means this. Salvation or Savior. How many know that Jesus Christ is a Savior? He would die in your place, would bear your sins, would die in your place. But, but then he would raise from the dead a non-negotiable truth of the Christian faith. So, hey, why, why are you talking about these non-negotiable truths? Because here's the thing. We can talk about Christmas. We can do a lot of things. But the truth of the matter is this, is that Jesus Christ came to set you free. That was his purpose. His purpose. And he lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin. That's non-negotiable. Sinless. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of Mary. Lived a sinless life. Submitted to the Father. Bore a cross for your sins and mine. Because he loved you. How much did Jesus love you? It's as if Jesus took the hand of people and God the Father and said, I'm bringing you together. He is a Savior. How many know he's a Savior? Virgin born, a sign, sinless life, the Son of Man, the Son of God, died in your place for your sins, a Savior. As a man, as a man, he's the perfect representation of us. But as God, he's the perfect sacrifice for us. 
I'm going to say that again. That flew off every wall in here, but there was a lot of truth to that. As a man, he, he's the perfect representation of us. And as God, he's the perfect sacrifice for us. Isaiah said, a sign will be given to you. A virgin shall conceive and, and bear a son. And a sign given to humanity throughout history. And a sign given to anyone who has ever feels pressed by the enemy. Anybody ever felt pressed by the enemy? Everybody, you ever felt down in your heart? Anybody ever been there? A sign is given to humanity throughout history. And, and, and it's like, like the Assyrians are attacking, like circumstances are rising. And, and oftentimes we're like Ahaz and we're like, what can I do? How can I help myself here? My, I got a problem with my finances. I got, I got a, a crushing marriage is failing or I've got burdens and they're heavy. Scripture says, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name is Emmanuel, or God with us. Now, that name, he's not, his name is not Emmanuel. That is a title. It's a title. His name is Jesus, but his title is Emmanuel, God with us. Can I tell you something? No matter what you're going through in 2021, in December, God is with you. Still today, he said he would never leave you nor forsake you. Will you bow your heads with me all across this building? Maybe.